covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. I am your host of this program that we bring to you on an every week basis. And we've got uh, a busy program today. I'll tell you more about that coming up in just a few moments. A couple housekeeping items that we always like to take care of here at the beginning of the show. If you do happen to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and there are multiple ways to listen. You can listen on Stitcher. You can listen on the WTMJ mobile app. You can go to WTMJ.com and find the uh, mobile network where you can find all of the WTMJ mobile podcasts there, uh, including this one. But if you are one of the folks that listens to us on Apple Podcasts, if you take a moment and leave a review, that would be fantastic. It helps us move up in the rankings where uh, more and more folks can learn about the podcast, and uh, that is something that we want to see happen. In fact, it seems to be happening recently. We, it, we seem to go in cycles where all of a sudden the listenership, there will be a bunch more of it, and then it kind of levels out, and then a little bit of time goes by, and then all of a sudden it, it kind of explodes again. It's not just a, a straight line in the upward direction. It seems to level out and peak again, and uh, recently we've been in a bit of a, a peaking phase. So that's good. It probably also has a lot to do with the fact there's a lot of optimism about this Brewers team this year, a lot of interest in this team, and we are continuing to get closer and closer to the start of the season. Also, if you've got any comments for me, if you want to respond to something that we say on the program, uh, or if you just uh, have a general comment about the program, you can always tweet at me if you would like, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air, or drop me an email if you'd like, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. All right, so uh, here's what we've got coming up on the program this week. Our featured guest during our social media conversation will be uh, J.P. Breen. He is uh, one of the uh, co-hosts over at the Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast. Uh, We're... We don't have to, uh, it's not podcast on podcast crime or anything. Uh, we certainly, uh, I hope that you're listening to the uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast. They do a uh, fantastic job with uh, what they do, and uh, it's great that uh, they're willing to uh, come on to uh, this program. So uh, JP is going to be on coming up in just a few minutes of the program. Over the last couple days, and we record this on uh, Sunday, so it is uh, currently Sunday, March 11th, and as I'm speaking right now, it is 9-12 in the evening. The conversation with J.P. Breen that we recorded took place earlier in the day. But over the last uh, day or so, a couple of the starting pitchers that were available on the market and had been linked to the Brewers both signing or reportedly signing deals with other teams. Lance Lynn signs a deal with the Minnesota Twins. It's a one-year deal, and Jake Arrieta goes to the Philadelphia Phillies on a three-year deal. The Lynn deal really interests me because he signs for significantly less money than the original qualifying offer. Like, if he had Doc Brown and he could hop in the DeLorean and go back in time, when the St. Louis Cardinals issue that qualifying offer, he takes it. Because the qualifying offers this year were around $17 million, and he ends up signing with the Twins for $12 million. He lost $5 million by gambling that he was going to get more money than that. And it was a good gamble. When that happened, when he turned down the qualifying offer, I don't think anybody out there really thought that he would end up signing either a deal that was a one-year deal worth less than $17 million 
or a deal that didn't have multiple years. And he ends up going to the Twins one year, $12 million. So the decision not to take the qualifying offer cost him $5 million. And again, I don't say that in a blaming way because I think that it was a it was a smart, sound, safe decision at the time. What it does, though, is it probably impacts decisions coming up next year on both sides. It probably impacts the decision of players if they're given that qualifying offer, whether or not they just take that one-year deal based off what happened in free agency this year. And it might even impact teams on whether or not they issue those qualifying offers. Because there's a lot of times that these qualifying offers are given with the teams absolutely 100% knowing that the player is going to turn it down. And the only reason that they're issuing the qualifying offer is because they want to get the draft pick compensation out of it. Like if we, Again, if we could hop back in the DeLorean and go back in time, and if would the St. Louis Cardinals issue the qualifying offer to Lance Lynn if they would have suspected that he was going to take it? Basically, I'm saying is, would have they welcomed him back this upcoming season for $17 million? Because when they issued the qualifying offer, they had a pretty good idea that he was going to turn that down. I don't have the answer to that question, but it's a question that baseball general managers are really going to be looking at and trying to figure out now going in. It's, it, it's very rare for a player to accept a qualifying offer. Does that change because of this offseason? Maybe. We, we, we'll know for sure in about, what, nine months or so, eight months. Uh, we'll, we'll have a little bit better idea on that. So now no Lance Lynn for the Brewers, no Jake Arrieta for the Brewers. From a free agent standpoint, uh, he, your big four of free agent pitchers this year were Darvish, Lynn, Arietta, and Alex Cobb. And I kind of say big four in air quotes. From the beginning, I always thought Cobb was the best fit for the Brewers. Just everything about him, uh, the, the money he was going to cost, the, the, maybe the fit in the clubhouse. Just To me, he seemed like the best fit. And I'm not just saying that now because he's the only guy available. You can go back on old podcasts. You can go to the archive of uh, Brewers Weekly, which we uh, which we have on Thursday nights on WTMJ. I've said from the beginning that it just seemed like Cobb was the best fit. Does that mean they're going to sign him? No. At this point, quite honestly, you know the old the old gun to the head um, statement. I, I would say they don't. And I could be wrong. It's not a. I'm not 80% sure, 90% sure, 100% sure. I just get this sense that the Brewers are fine and happy. Maybe not. I don't know if happy. Yeah, happy. I'll go happy. That's fine. I, the, the Brewers are fine with the, the group that they have right now. And if they need to do something later on to help the starting rotation, they can do something then. And there's going to be guys who are available on the trade market throughout the course of the season. So I, just, I don't have an expectation of the Brewers signing Alex Cobb. Maybe they do. I, I'm not. I'm also not going to be surprised if they do end up signing Cobb. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, a month ago, I, I don't know at all. The time all kind of runs together for me. But this is a little bit of a change for me from a position standpoint. I thought that you know my position had been that the Brewers were going to get one of those four pitchers, and I, I really thought that to be the case. I was kind of piggybacking off the comments that have been made by a lot of the baseball insider types that know more than I do. But I I don't have that sense anymore. Maybe they sign them. Maybe maybe Monday morning before 99% of the people even listen to this podcast, Alex Cobb is a member of the Brewers. 
Maybe that happens. But I just, I, I'm not expecting that. Won't surprise me, but I'm also not expecting that. And now all of a sudden, yeah, he might be in the best position at this point. Because when it was Arietta, Cobb, Lynn all available, the teams that were still competing for uh, to, to assign a starting pitcher, there was if you didn't like the numbers that the agent for this guy was talking about, you always had the option of saying, well, we we can move on to this next guy. Well, now Cobb's kind of the last guy out there. So maybe that in a weird roundabout kind of way actually ends up helping him, or maybe it just continues the way that this whole entire offseason is and has been, and he ends up signing uh, a one-year deal at a uh, lower value that he would have liked and tries this whole free agent thing again next year. I mean, the original reports were, that he wanted a, a four-year deal. That's not. I don't think that's going to happen. Again, I I make all these statements, and it's just been an off season where you really don't know what's going to happen next. And uh, so, if Alex Cobb signs a four-year deal worth eighty million dollars with some team, am I going to be shocked? No, but am I expecting it? I'm not at this point in time. All right, here's what we have uh, coming up on the program this week. Uh, J.P. Breen, one of the hosts of the Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast, he is going to join us coming up in just a few minutes. But first, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. One of the biggest headlines came out of the mouth of Ryan Braun who, for me, the the most interesting, compelling narrative of spring training continues to be just the overall circumstance involving outfielders and first basemen and everything about it. How much time Ryan Braun's going to play at first base, how much time he's going to play in left field, how much time he's going to play, period. Uh, what's going to happen with Domingo Santana? Is he going to be an everyday right fielder type? Are they going to use him more off the bench? Are they going to end up trading him? Does Jesus Aguilar have a spot on this roster? I mean, there's what, what's going to go on with Eric Thames? Does he become a, pl- a platoon player now at first base even after uh, what he did last season? So a lot of questions, a lot of questions. But Ryan Braun said uh, recently that he's still not feeling comfortable at first base. A lot of people made a big deal of this. To me, what do you expect him to say? Why should we expect him to be comfortable at first base? And for the folks out there that say, well, he came up as an infielder, so he should be good, that was a long time ago. That was a really long time ago. Um, I I forget things, and I feel uncomfortable with things after not doing it for just a short amount of time. I know it's a very different thing, but I can't tell you how many times I'm driving in my car, I'm going somewhere that I've been to a lot, but I haven't been doing like a month or two months or something, and I'm going there, and I'm like trying to figure out where in the world the parking lot even is. Like again, not exactly an apples to apples comparison, but the idea that he should be fine at first because he has experience, you know, playing third, which he wasn't especially good at uh, when he came up. I, I don't think that's a. I don't think that's completely valid. Of course, he's not comfortable at first base, and he doesn't even, ha- you know, being comfortable and being adequate are two different things as well. There are things that I think we all do as human beings that we're probably pretty good at that we're not comfortable doing. I've certainly been in that position at times in my job. Like, you, you do something, evidently you're okay at it, but you were never comfortable doing it. So I'm not, 
I'm not real worried about the whole comfort thing. You know, when you really look at what he's saying, being comfortable versus being good are two different things. Now, does that mean he's good at first base? No. We'll find out. And uh, But he's going to have growing pains. I, I bet if he's playing first base a lot, I bet there's periods of time where he's just, you know, a lot of times with fielders, mistakes come in bunches. And I, 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 I just, you know, that first time that you have a bunch of errors or a bunch of misplays at first base, what's that going to look like? And the question for him is, is he going to be able to come out of that rut uh, pretty quick. So we'll just wait and see. Look, that's I feel like I've said that over and over and over and over and over uh, on this podcast and on the Brewers Weekly Show about this situation with Braun, but there's so much truth to it. Like, seriously, until we get probably a few days out from opening day, we just have to wait and see what's going to happen and how much time Ryan Braun is going to spend over at first base. I continue to appreciate the fact that he's willing to work so hard and do something that's a little bit out of his comfort zone. Let's just see what that ends up looking like. But I'm not going to take, I'm not going to get too worked up over the fact that he makes the comment that he doesn't feel especially uh, comfortable over at first. Uh, Corey Knable tweaked his knee. Uh, there, there was uh, some rain and some moist playing conditions, and he ended up uh, coming off the mound a little bit funny. Tweaked his knee. He was walk work looked fine coming off it. This is one of those issues that you know if it happened during a regular season game, we're probably be- barely even talking about it. Maybe he's down for a day or two. I'm not too terribly worried about him, and I think it's going to be okay. I guess those are famous last words, uh, but it seems to be okay. The other injury situation, Zach Davies, uh, he's going to uh, throw in a camp game. He's been dealing with a little bit of an oblique. He seems to be coming back from that pretty quick. Uh, Good to see. So he'll throw a camp game and then he'll get started. He'll still get a few starts before the end of spring training. Steven Vogt is just about set to uh, start a throwing program. That is very good and they're going to put him on the fast track to try to get uh, all aspects of his game uh, good to go moving forward so he can uh, truly be competing for that backup catching position. I still think it's his job I have a really hard time believing that Jet Bandy's going to take that job from Stephen Vogt for a lot of reasons. Uh, so unless Vogt just cannot play, just cannot throw because of injury and ends up on the disabled list, I have a really hard time uh, believing that. We mentioned all this in the uh, first segment, but just uh, individuals with either uh, ties to the Brewers or rumored to maybe sign with the Brewers, signing deals with other teams. Jake Arrieta, he signed a three-year deal with the Phillies. Lance Lynn, one-year deal with the Twins. And former Brewers catcher Jonathan Lucroy, who there seemed to be kind of this growing group of the fan base that really wanted to see a reunion between the Brewers and Lucroy. And I never thought that was going to happen. And I feel like people in the organization made it fairly clear that that wasn't going to end up happening. But Jonathan Lucroy uh, signs a one-year deal with the A's. Just a man. Uh, can, can you... Uh, this is something that you can't really quantify. So this is one of those statements that I'll make that I, I can't really put anything to it. Uh, But has there ever been anybody in the history of baseball who has lost more money in like less than a two-year period than Jonathan Lucroy? Because here's a guy who, when he left Milwaukee, if he would have been a free agent um, going into that offseason, so last offseason, you know, after he left Milwaukee and then finished out the year with Texas, 
if if he would have been a free agent there, he probably gets a contract in the twenty million dollar a year range. He I don't I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he could have gotten a four year eighty million dollar contract. And now here he is signing with the A's for six and a half million dollars. Is there it's tough to go find somebody who in a very short amount of time lost that much value from you know kind of what people view of them and it's happened there's been other guys that kind of fell off but he hasn't even really it isn't that he's fallen off Uh, he's not the pitch framer that he used to be there are some parts of his game that don't seem to be quite as strong as they used to be but baseball is just different now it's it's changed and it might be things tend to be cyclical so at some point in time teams are going to start throwing money around again I don't know if it's going to be this upcoming offseason, two offseasons from now, three offseasons from now. Uh, if your players, you know, you're trying to put a little bit of pressure on the owners by filing that grievance. If your players, you're hopeful that there is some money being thrown around next year. So if you're a Lance Lynn, if you're a Jonathan Lucroy, maybe you're able to go take a one-year deal and try again next year and make a little bit more money or even – think twice on that qualifying offer going back to what I was talking about in the first segment but either way it's just it's a weird off season it is it has been a weird 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 off season to to say the least and now all of a sudden we're again the Lance Lynn thing just floors me and again I know I talked about in the first segment it just absolutely floors me that here's the guy who got a qualifying offer for essentially five million dollars more than what he signed right now and he was so confident and it wasn't a wrong confidence. It was based off what had happened in previous years. There had never been an offseason like this before. In every other offseason before, if Lance Lynn was available out there, the decision to turn down the qualifying offer would have been a very smart decision. He would have either gotten more money per year or gotten more years. Either way, he would have gotten more money. And this year, he ends up settling for $5 million less than what he would have gotten with the qualifying offer. It's uh, It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. All right, so here's what we've got going on. Uh, J.P. Breen, he is going to join us in just a moment or so from uh, the Milwaukee Tailgate Podcast, another uh, great Brewers podcast out there. I say another like this one, a great Brewers podcast out there. I'll go with that so I'm not uh, patting myself on the back here. So uh, J.P. is going to join us here in just a moment. This is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast for Powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on right now. We're very happy into our social media conversation to uh, welcome in another podcast host. You can hear him over on the uh, Milwaukee Tailgate podcast. He's got a long history uh, talking about uh, the Brewers, both on podcast and also uh, in written word. But right now he uh, puts his focus really on the podcast. They do a great job over there. It is J.P. Breen. J.P., it's great to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. We're finally starting to get to some warmer weather, and it's nice to actually have uh, spring training games to look at for sure. Yeah, it absolutely is. And for me, the and I think for most Brewers fans, the two most interesting narratives 
of this spring training so far has been the idea of Ryan Braun being having significant time over at first base and also what's going on uh, with the starting rotation. So let's start with kind of the, the low-hanging fruit of the easy conversations to get into. Let's start with Ryan Braun. He comes out uh, recently saying he's still not feeling comfortable at first base. You appreciate uh, the candor from him, but how much, as we sit right here, what are your just kind of general thoughts on Braun being a first baseman and somebody who plays a, maybe a significant time over at first? Well, it's an interesting situation. I, you know, I don't think anybody should have expected Ryan Braun to feel comfortable after five games. So I've been surprised to see both, you know, on social media and just in terms of articles in general, talking about how significant it is that you know he's still not comfortable there. Uh, that's just going to come through practice. It's going to come through seeing game situation, you know, having to field bunts, having to throw around runners on the way to second base, having to field staff throws, um, you know, all the things that you can't necessarily do without game situation to, to feel comfortable in them. So uh, I'm, I'm certainly not surprised that he doesn't feel that great there yet, but I, I feel I, I have two minds about the Ryan Braun experiment first base just because. On one hand, it makes complete sense. If, if you've got a lot of outfielders and you have somebody like Eric Thames who showed last year, especially in the second half, that he struggled against lefties, that absolutely makes sense to put Ryan Braun there in spots. Um, you know, It allows you to, to bring in Domingo Santana and your lineup in general becomes much stronger against lefties. That makes complete sense to me. But on the other hand, he there has been a sense within the club to say, you know, he is going to play first base. The council came out to say that uh, Yelich would be the primary left fielder, uh, aside from when Brian Braun plays in left field, which seems to suggest that they already are working under the assumption that Braun will be playing first. And that's that's just strange, given the fact that it doesn't really make the team better unless Ryan Braun is actually, you know, a decent fielder there. And by decent fielder, I don't mean, you know, can stand there at first base and you know, catch the ball when it's thrown at him, make some basic fielding plays. Um, you know, the level of being actually a league, a league average first baseman defensively is, is quite high. And I'm not necessarily sure that the team as a whole gets better or it's worth it unless he is at a certain level defensively. Um, because otherwise they already have somebody like Jesus Aguilar who can, who can fill that position. And I'm not necessarily sure that, you know, having an outfield of, Braun, Yelich, and, and Kane against a lefty with Aguilar at first base is that much improved given the defensive deficiencies of Santana and potentially Braun at first base. That's actually a very big upgrade. I don't know. I don't necessarily know how I feel about that yet. This team over the last couple of years, I, I, I kind of make the comparison here to Jonathan VR and stick with me for a second because mm-hmm. the, the team dealt with VR's defense, defensive deficiencies to be able to have his bat in the lineup. And this is more from two years ago than it is this past season because he wasn't very good at the plate. But when he was hitting, when he was stealing bases, when he was doing all that stuff, they dealt with his mistakes in the field. They also may, dealt with his uh, base running mistakes to get that bat in the lineup. How much, let's say Ryan Braun, let's say it's a slow process to get him to that major league average defensive level at first base. How much time and how much do you put up with maybe some mistakes over at first to have that bat in the lineup? And again, I know what you just said at the end, that maybe maybe that lineup isn't that much better with Braun in it. But if they do go the move forward that way, how long and how much do you put up with maybe Braun not being great over at first base for a while? 
Well, I think the VR comparison is is apt, but I also two years ago the Brewers weren't necessarily going into the season expecting to be 500 or better and maybe even compete for a playoff spot. You know, so they were willing to work with the defensive deficiencies because, frankly, it didn't necessarily matter how much uh, how many wins they were putting on the board in terms of you know. Um, the large scheme of things, they were committed to seeing if VR could be a building block going forward. Where this year, it, it is much more about optimizing your offensive performance and your your lineup more generally because you have an eye on competing. Um, but at the same time, the the problem for me, I suppose, comes into this the place. Like if if Ryan Braun doesn't play first base he can play the outfield like and he's actually been pretty good as a left fielder um in terms of looking at the metrics and i know that you know he's not uh gonna win a gold glove in left field but he's actually been most of the last five years he's been above average in terms of his defensive abilities in left field and so if he doesn't play first base he still has a pathway to, to regular at bats, and he should be. I mean, in the lineup, and he, that can be in the outfield, and that that's okay. The question then becomes, you know, what do you do with guys like Roxton and Phillips and Santana? And that's been the problem, and that's why they tried to move them to move him to first base to get other bats in the lineup. It's not necessarily in my in my mind about getting Ryan Braun in the lineup yeah. because he's going to play no matter what. So, so it comes down basically. He probably plays a bunch of first base if Domingo Santana's on the roster, and if an unexpected trade for Santana comes up, then that kind of fixes things, seemingly. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense, right? I think that's the way to look at it. I think there's also an argument to say, I mean, Keon Broxton over the last two years, I know a lot of people don't necessarily like to hear it because they don't like that he strikes out and he goes through some pretty cold patches. But against lefties, he's been almost as good as uh, Domingo Santana in terms of his hitting ability. So... I actually, if Braun can play first base, even if they trade Domingo Santana, it might not actually be the worst thing in the world because then you could get Keon Broxton in there, and your defensive outfield then becomes actually quite good. Um, and having somebody in there like like Broxton, I believe, and I don't have the numbers necessarily in front of me, but I believe his uh, his OPS against lefty lefties over the past two seasons has been about eight sixty. So. I mean, he's been he's been quite good. So there's there's still a pathway for that. That even if they end up trading Santana, it's still a good move to increase Braun's versatility. Um, I just I, I I still think he has to be at a certain level defensively uh, to make it worthwhile. But I completely take your point that I think that you know opening day, even if he is playing first base, we shouldn't necessarily expect him to be up to speed yet. But I think that um, you know the the organization and Craig Council must be confident that he can at least get, well, and he needs to be confident that he can get to a certain level um, at first base. So it's, it, but it is a really strange situation because at most he's going to see what, uh, 10, 15, maybe 15 games at first base by opening day. And that's a really tall, tall task for somebody to all of a sudden learn a new position and, you know, especially one that is involved in so much. And if he's not comfortable at first base, you're just guys just like drag bunt at him constantly, make him move, play with him in terms of, you know, leading off extra, in terms of bouncing around behind him. 
Like there's going to be so many, there's so much that you can do to mess up the first baseman if they don't necessarily know what they're doing. So you can take advantage of that. So it'll be strange to see what happens, but um, yeah, it is, it is one of the biggest narratives. I think you're, you're spot on to, to note that. And last thing on this, before we move on, I feel almost dumb asking this question because Braun's been an elite hitter for, for so long and you don't get the sense that anything's going to really affect his hitting outside of injuries. But I spent, you know, I spent ten years as a minor league broadcaster. Six of those years were at AAA, and I saw it all the time. Organizations would send guys who either had some time in the big leagues or were stuck as AAA guys, and they'd go spend a year at AAA trying to learn a new position. And whenever they tried to learn that new position, it was always their worst offensive seasons. And and it was, I always thought it was because they were focusing so much on trying to learn that new position that what they did at the plate took a hit. Would you have any worry whatsoever about if Braun's going through a period of trying to transition over to first base, that that actually could have an impact on his hitting? Yeah, I, I do. I think that's, I think that's a, a good point and something to keep in mind for sure. I mean, even guys like Jonathan Lucroy, who came up to the big leagues and had to focus so much on his defensive abilities as a catcher and learning how to call games and learning the pitching staff and all of those things. Like he, I believe it was almost two years before he really started to show the offensive potential that he was showing in the minor leagues, just because, yeah, I and mean, if you focus so much on that defensive, defensive work, not only does that take up the mental space, but you're just kind of uncomfortable, um, and, and certainly, I mean, you know, you know this from, from calling so many minor league games and everything. Like, you can see when guys take frustrations from the field into the batter's box. You can't just, like, it's like, you know, it's like when they say for quarterbacks when they throw an interception, you know, you got to leave it behind. But that's easier said than done. Right, let's jump over to the starting rotation, and we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. Wade Miley is pitching today for the Brewers, but as we're talking, we don't know his uh, result for Sunday's game. But uh, he's been really good, and I think he's on an eight-inning scoreless streak going into uh, today's game, if, I'm, uh, if I've got that correct. Either way, he's been very good so far. Uh, it, does Miley, for you, does he have an inside track on one of those two open spots right now in the rotation? I yeah I I don't know <laughs> is the honest answer. Um, there's there's only so much for me that can be gleaned from from spring training, especially if you're talking about uh, pitchers, because you know not only are are all pitchers going and throwing their entire repertoire, but they're sometimes facing basically minor league lineups. Um, they're only going through lineups once basically maybe twice if they get if they go you know more than three innings um and so you're not having to see them do a lot of things that they would have to do you know regularly once april rolls around so wade miley is is a guy that you can feel confident by throwing in that he can you know at least take the ball every fifth day um i i still think that brandon woodruff makes a lot of sense to break camp with the team um I know that a lot of people will say that he's given up, you know, he's given up three homers already in in spring, but he's already struck out seven guys in less than four innings already. Um, that he still has the stuff, and eventually, as we've seen, and you, you know, you mentioned this with VR, but we've seen this with guys like, uh, you know, Zach Davies recently as well, and and actually longer term over over Jimmy Nelson. Eventually, for these. Younger guys, you just you actually just have to give them a shot. And recognize that they're going to have bumps in the road, and it's and I know that a lot of people won't necessarily like that because the 
team is trying to compete. But we've got so much body of evidence that guys like Wade Miley, Giovanni Gallardo, Junior Guerra, all of those people are going to have bumps in the road too. And that's the reason they're on, you know, Giovanni Gallardo has already walked eight people in eight innings this year in the spring if we're looking at spring stats. So it, I think that if, if the organization thinks that Brandon Woodruff is somebody who can help long-term this year and be somebody they want to rely on for the starting rotation, and it seems that they are, I'd be surprised if they didn't really commit to him starting opening day because if you are going to bring in somebody like Wade Miley or you're going to bring in Giovanni Gallardo or, or whoever it is, then you'd have to start with roster moves. Are you going to put Brandon Woodruff in AAA when he has to go to Colorado Springs? That's not a good environment for anybody to develop if you think he needs a little bit more time. So it's a, it's a tough situation. Um, for myself, I don't necessarily put any stock on spring training numbers, um, but I do understand for the Brewers, if they are going to go out and sign people like Wade Miley on minor league deals and tell them he has a, you know, tell him he has a shot to actually come in in spring training and win a role. Um, it's very hard for the organization and for Miley to then hear, oh, but spring training doesn't actually matter in the long term because it's such a small sample. I think they actually do have to honor that in some way as well. So, uh, again, it's a complicated situation. But for myself, Wade Miley is not somebody that I think is, you know, a long term answer. I think unless something has really changed with him than we've seen in, in recent years. Kind of a sidebar on that. I really like Craig Council as a manager. I think he's done a great job with the Brewers. But sometimes I do wonder mm-hmm. is is he not as uh, is he not as eager to give jobs to young guys as he should be? And I think Orlando Arcia got the job when he came up. But since then, you know, even when Corey Knebel took over as a closer when the Neftali Felice thing didn't work out, it was kind of a it was kind of a slow burn in toward, until he was officially named the closer. Last year with Brandon Woodruff, even when there was no starting pitchers around, it seemed like he was almost on a on a game by game basis pitching for his job. Is that an area that maybe uh, I don't know if it's council or the organization could do a, a bit better job of that you got these young guys actually just giving them jobs, giving them the confidence that they know they're the everyday guy or every fifth day guy in terms of a starting pitcher and allowing them to maybe have that confidence of knowing that 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 is their job at least for the time being yeah i mean that's a big question um i i take the point and i and i in a lot of ways that i would fully agree with that um i think we saw that in some ways with you know, Lewis Brinson last year, where it was like, look, if you're going to commit to him as the, the long-term center fielder, there's no point in bringing him up for a week and batting him twice, and then like bringing up Keon Broxton again to be here for for a month and then do it again. And but as we saw in, in the winter, they ended up trading Lewis Brinson. So you know, maybe they weren't <laughs> planning on committing to him long-term. So it's not a great example. But they have shown a long leash for guys in the past. I think Kia Box is somebody that they've given a long leash to at times. I mean, they've gone through, they've really waded through some bad times with him. And he's kind of come back and forth a little bit. He was a streaky guy last year. But guys like, you know, Jimmy Nelson, they've committed to over a long period of time. A lot of people were calling for Zach Davies to, to not be part of the rotation last year after he had a horrendous April. They stuck to him. And he was, he was actually one of the better pitchers in, in the National League over the last uh, probably mid-May forward. Uh, he was really good. 
Josh Hader started to get some really high leverage innings very quickly and, and earned a lot of trust. Um, I think that actually, I think the Knable point's really interesting because when Knable was kind of brought in, they did soft pedal him in terms of being, you know, the new closer. And I do wonder how much of that was the fact that they didn't really want him to be closing games yet. And they were trying to give Natalie Feliz a chance to kind of turn it around because now when Knable is going to be hitting arbitration, his, his contract's going to shoot up like really high. And if they, I do wonder if they were thinking they could kind of manipulate it where they could allow him to kind of be the setup guy and be a really good setup guy, be, you know, an important high leverage uh, impact reliever. But if Neftali Feliz could somehow figure it out, actually get back and be a closer that they could rely on, not only did they then have two good relievers at the back end of the bullpen, but they didn't have to worry about uh, Knable racking up the save. So when arbitration hits, you know, it becomes a lot more expensive. But that's, that is a little bit of, of speculation on my part. We've just seen that with a lot of other teams across the league, and I did wonder if that was something they were doing with Knable as well. And it's a, you know you just look every team deals with young players differently, and there's certainly a difference between you know one of these top prospects coming up and a, and a mid-level prospect. But you know, Keon Broxton two years ago was up and down, I think five times during the course of the season. Zach Davies mm-hmm. didn't make the club out of spring training last year, and then they did the thing where they messed around with the service time by you know technically sending him down to Colorado Springs at the All Star break. It just it it seems like at times there are some young guys that they just don't flat out give jobs to that. Maybe they should. Yeah, I mean, the Zach Davies thing was a little bit weird in terms of sending him down because they were, because he wasn't actually going to pitch again before uh, the All Star break, they brought up somebody else so they could get an extra arm. And they actually paid him, like, basically recouped, recouped his money that he lost for not being on the Major League roster. They just kind of said, we're sending you down for a, for, um, not a service time thing, but because we needed room on the roster space and, you know, and myself included i was we were all like well that like that financially impacts him a lot to go down and start making a minor and it came out later that they actually you know ended up saying we're sending you down but we're going to pay you for it um and so that was a little bit weird but i i, I do take the point on on Keon Brock. um yeah it's but it's it's going to be so difficult for for the for the Brewers this year because they do have heightened expectations. I think rightly so they have heightened expectations. Um, But at the same time, the fact that they're not being all that active in the pitching market, you know, it it is worth noting that Jake Arrieta is expected to to sign in the coming days. And again, he said we're we're recording on Sunday, but he is expected to be signing and, and the Brewers have been kind of rumored to be in that mix in some respect. Um, it could have been that they offered uh, Lance Lynn a deal and Lance Lynn decided to go to Minnesota because Minnesota doesn't necessarily have as much pressure on their starting rotation as the Brewers might eventually once Jimmy Nelson comes back. And so there are a lot of things that are in play there, but it does seem that if you listen to what Stearns is saying and you look at kind of their lack of movement and free agency in terms of starting pitching, it seems that they trust their internal internal options, which to me would signal that they do trust somebody like Brandon Woodruff to come in and give, give some, you know, meaningful innings. I, I have a hard time believing that they're not going to free agency because they're really going to rely on, you know, the Wade Miley's of the world. Um, no offense to Wade Miley's had a great career, but he did still sign a minor league deal. So it's, it's tough to figure out what they're doing because the elephant in the back of the room is the fact that 
it would make logical sense that they are shopping Domingo or even Keon Broxton for starting pitcher in the background. And that might not, that might be why they're not necessarily doing anything in terms of free agency. So it's just one of those weird, I don't know. I don't know if we've ever had an off season like this where we are almost the middle of March and so many balls are in the air because so many guys haven't signed and it just feels like across the league, there are so many trades that make sense that just haven't happened yet. Yeah. So we got to, it's, I don't know. It's like one of those things that it's the really unsatisfactory answer, but it always just kind of comes back to the fact that, I don't know. We'll see. They're, they're, they're doing things uh, behind, behind the scenes. One would assume, you know, kind of like when we were all talking about winter meetings in December and we're like, why are the brewery not doing anything? And then suddenly they, you know, traded for Yelich and they signed Kane and everyone was like, Whoa, actually they were doing a lot. It just took a while to actually come to fruition. Um, could be the same thing here. We don't necessarily know yet, but it's it's a it's an interesting situation because it it does seem that they've got a lot a lot of roster questions that need to be fixed in the next like three weeks, and it doesn't necessarily seem like there are any obvious answers on my end. How about the? And this isn't really Brewers related, but I want your comment on it. And I don't see a lot of people talking about. It. Maybe I'm just not looking at the right places. So Lance Lynn signs this deal with the Twins for twelve million dollars. His the qualifying offer number this year was it better than seventeen million? So if he would have taken the one year deal from the Cardinals on the qualifying offer, he he would have had five. Obviously, you can't go back in time. You don't know what's going to happen. Everybody would have you know definitely thought twice and, and tried to figure out why he would take that qualifying offer. But we're now living in a world where a guy who was given the qualifying offer of what seventeen point four million dollars ends up four months later signing a one year deal for five million dollars less than that. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a bizarre situation, and I'm not necessarily somebody who's crying collusion. Um, but it's just, it's the baseball economy's bizarre at the moment because you can totally understand why Lance Lynn thought he would be getting more than you know one year seven one year seventeen million dollar deal. I mean, he's been a solid mid rotation pitcher for for years. Yeah, I mean, he had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago and missed some time, but. Plenty of pitchers do that and still get lucrative deals coming back. And one of the biggest issues, it seems, is the fact that, I mean, nobody nobody wants to buy. Yeah. Is, is what it comes down to. And Lance Lynn went out, and if he looked at the free agency market, I'm sure he saw Darvish, he, he saw Arietta, and he said, after those two, and I think, you know, he can make a pretty good claim for this, that he was the next best pitcher available. Um, and for how many teams seemingly always need pitching, and, you know, the Brewers are, are certainly somebody that we're talking about that still need pitching. Um, it's just, it's so bizarre that nobody wants to, it, everyone is refusing to spend money. Um, and there's been a lot of talk on whether or not it has luxury tax uh, implications in terms of, what's going to happen next uh, Next free agency when you know guys like Harper and Machado are on the market. So many big market teams are trying to get under the luxury tax so they can go over it next year and, and lessen their, their tax implications for, luxury, for the luxury tax. Um, and then there's a lot of talk about, like, you know, is it the fact that he had the, the draft pick, you know, attached to him so nobody wanted to spend money and, you know, we need to reform that. But, you know, it, it seems to me as somebody who, you know, has, has limited knowledge of 
you know, negotiations that are happening and whatnot. It seems to me that one of the big issues that we've seen across the league is there are fewer and fewer teams that are interested in acquiring pieces, whether that's via trade, whether that is um, via free agency, that there is a desire to either stick what you have, but it, it seems to be a situation in which right now there is an acceptance for a lot of teams that they can embark on rebuilding without expending any extra money. Um, that you can somehow now rationally try to uh, rebuild your organization in the way that the Astros and even the Brewers did to some respect, uh, and the Cubs and all of these things with a lower payroll, and you can maximize profits while doing it. And that that is a way that you can basically have your cake and eat it too. And if, because, you know, logically, if you think about it, there's not very much reason in my mind that somebody like the White Sox couldn't have gone just to Lance Lynn and say, you know what, if you're going to sign for a one-year deal, we'll give you $20 million. And then in July, if Lance Lynn has a good year, they can spin him off for prospects. And you know what? They use their payroll space to be able to acquire an asset and then trade them and hypothetically get pieces back. You know what? That's great. They were able to get the production. They were able to get prospects coming back. And that can aid in the, in the rebuilding process as well. Rebuilding is not just minor league guys. You can you can go through and do some things with your payroll space as well. And it just seems that there are not a lot of teams that are willing to do that. Um, you know, maybe the Padres are are a, an example of somebody who gave a lot of money to Eric Hosmer because they really liked him and they think that this is going to be somebody that helps them when they project to. To, uh, to compete a couple of years down the road, a la you know, Jason Worth or even um, John Lester with the Cubs. But it just seems like there's so much room for guys, for teams, to sign players to reasonable contracts because the market is so weird with the, with the idea that in the summer they can trade them and they can actually get prospects back. They can bolster their minor league system. They can get young players back. They can kind of move themselves along in this in this rebuilding process, but you know, it comes down to it. It's team. It's haven't shown a willingness to do that whatsoever. And I'm not necessarily sure how to take that other than teams would rather pocket the money. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know where to go other than that. I know that that's not the best conclusion to come to in the world, but I haven't heard anything that's more compelling. No, I, I think you're, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right, and it is something that probably needs to be dealt with. I'm not sure if the Players Association filing grievances is going to do anything, but you know, next time that uh, collective bargaining agreement comes around, I would think there's going to be some changes to try to deal with things that, like that that's going on. And we could talk about it forever, but JP, you've been incredibly uh, gracious uh, with your time. We encourage everybody uh, to also uh, listen to the Milwaukee Tailgate podcast. Uh, you can find that everywhere you find podcasts. Its uh, Twitter handle is at MKE Tailgate. You can also follow uh, JP on Twitter at JP underscore Breen, B-R-E-E-N. JP, it is always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for uh, giving me so much time, and we look forward to having you on the podcast again very soon. Absolutely. Anytime.
JP Breen from the Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast joining us, and we appreciate him taking some uh, moments with us. And make sure to listen to that podcast; it's uh, it's great stuff from a Brewers perspective. There weren't a lot of uh, Brewers podcasts out there. There still are not that many, uh, but that's certainly uh, one of my favorite other ones to uh, listen to. So I 100% endorse uh, that podcast if you do want to take a listen. Here's what's coming up uh, this week in terms of the Brewers' schedule. They do not have an off day. This week from games. In fact, they will not have uh, another off day in Cactus League play until a week from Monday. That's the 19th. They're set to uh, take on the Dodgers on Monday the 12th. That's a road game. Then they'll be back in Maryvale on Tuesday and Wednesday for games against the Rangers and the White Sox, respectively. Then Thursday and Friday, they go on the road again to uh, Rangers and Reds. Saturday, they're set to take on the Rockies. And on Sunday, they will take on the Dodgers. As far as games that you're able to listen to on WTMJ 620 and 1033. Uh, if you're uh, in the Milwaukee area, 620, of course, has the pretty much statewide coverage and uh, into other states as well, for that matter, as you can pick it up in parts of Illinois and Indiana and Michigan. Uh, but if you are in the Milwaukee area, you can now listen to WTMJ on FM as well at 103.3. And, of course, across the Brewers Radio Network. Just a couple games going to be on the air this week as on Friday that game against Cincinnati and then on Sunday the game against the Dodgers. Both games will be available on the radio with broadcast start times scheduled for 2.55. All right, that's going to do it for uh, this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. By the way, one other note for you. Uh, we are going to be starting up our uh, Around the Farm segments again here as we uh, do inch closer and closer to the start of the seasons, and that will be uh, a segment that we uh, start including once again on just about an every week basis. So keep a, uh, an ear out for that here moving forward. And again, if you do want to reach out to me about anything, you can always do so uh, via Twitter at Matt Pauly on air or via email matt.pauly at wtmj.com. That's Matt Pauly, P-A-U-L-E-Y. All right, that's it for the program. Thanks so much for being tuned in, and we'll talk to you again next week. This has been Brewers Extra the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.